Welcome to the Eastern Hills Audio Podcast. We exist to help as many people as possible take their next step towards finding community and following Christ. Maybe you've got questions about Jesus. Maybe you're good with Jesus, just not his church. Maybe you're feeling disconnected and want to reconnect. We think you'll find our messages both helpful and hopeful. So enjoy. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. We're kicking off a new series, and for the next few weeks, we're gonna be talking about something that Jesus said years ago that people are still talking about today. That's right, what he said has shaped people's personal philosophy when it comes to engaging their neighbor. Now, regardless if you're, if you're new to faith or you're not of faith or you're, you're not really sure where you're at with the person of Jesus, uh, you know, over the next few weeks, I think you're going to be challenged to think about engaging community, engaging your neighborhood, maybe in a way that you haven't thought about before. Now, as we get this conversation started, there's something that you and I have in common, and it's neighbors. Now, if we were to sit down and have a conversation over a cup of coffee and we were to talk about our life, eventually where we live might come up. Our neighborhood might come up. And it would be true that we would have neighbors, but we'd probably have different types of neighbors. And with our neighbors, we probably have a few favorites. Here are a few favorites that maybe are in your neighborhood. Barbecue Bill. The neighborhood's better with Barbecue Bill in it because He's always throwing a party. He always, wants, he always wants to have people over, to have a good time, to fire up the grill, you know, allow people to swim in the backyard. The neighborhood's better because Barbecue Bill lives in your neighborhood. Or Junkyard Jeff. You know, you don't need to go to the museum because right down the street in your neighborhood, Junkyard Jeff's got you covered. You might say things look a little rusty, but with every treasure in his backyard, he's got a story to tell. Now, Holly Holiday, she keeps things festive all year long. In fact, you know, it's, it's always Christmas at Holly's house because she's got the lights up 365 days a year. We're grateful for Holly Holiday for keeping things fun. Now, Patty Pets, it can be expensive to go to the zoo. But when you, you got Patty Pets nearby, she's got seven or eight different cats. She's got four or five dogs, a few birds, a hamster, a rabbit. And the last time you looked over the fence in her backyard, you might have even saw an elephant. But Mysterious Mike, Mysterious Mike, he keeps things interesting in your neighborhood. Because in every neighborhood, there's always that neighbor that you've never really engaged with before. But you, you know someone lives there because every once in a while the lights flicker on and you might see the blinds move a little bit. But you've never had a conversation with Mysterious Mike. And, and every once in a while maybe you see the garage door come down. Oh, we missed him again. We're thankful for Mysterious Mike because he's the, he keeps things interesting. And then Green Thumb Gina, man, she gets the, the Yard of the Year Award. Her grass is always perfect. She can tell you about every plant and flower and shrub and tree. And she's got all the information. We, we love Green Thumb Gina. And then Captain Carl. <laughs> if there's ever any shenanigans going down in your neighborhood, you know where to go. Captain Carl, he's a sheriff. He knows who's coming and who's going. But my personal favorite, Susie Snacks. If you want to know which house Susie Snacks lives in, just follow the kids. Because the kids in the neighborhood always know who has the best snacks. Now, growing up, my wife, her mom, my mother-in-law, her name was Suzanne. And that's the inspiration behind this. She was Susie Snacks. So kids knew that they would have the best snacks in the neighborhood. And my wife has tried to pick up 
the torch. Now, I don't know if you identify with any one of these favorite neighbors. I don't know what you're like when it comes to neighboring, but for, for Kirsten and I, we neighbor a little bit differently. My wife likes to neighbor in the driveway. I like to neighbor through the blinds. You know, I neighbor through the, the wonders. Oh, I wonder what's, what's going on. Or the whispers of, oh, I haven't seen them in a while. Or the worries. I hope everything's okay through the blinds. My wife, she, she's more neighborly. She's out in the driveway. She knows who's coming and who's going. She knows all the kids' names. She knows the parents. And she knows who lives at what house. Sometimes people think that if you're a pastor, the expectation is that you are like Ned Flanders <laughs> from The Simpsons. I am not Ned Flanders, and my neighbors would tell you that. But my wife, maybe my wife, she, she's Nadina. She's Nadina Flanders. She, she, she keeps the neighborhood, uh, you know, going with, with, her, with her smiles and her friendliness, and I love her because of that. But here's the reality check. We have people that live near us that do not live like us. When we show up to the grocery store, when we show up to our kids' schools, when we show up on the sports fields, when we're engaging with our neighbors and in our community, we have people that live near us, but they do not live like us. They believe different things. They, they act differently. They choose to uh, spend their time differently. And the reality is, is that this is not unique to our generation. In fact, this is true of most generations. If you were to go back and look at different tribes or people groups, they too would have experienced this reality. We have people that live near us that do not live like us. But here's the driving question behind this series. Our neighbors may not live like us, but shouldn't they like us? Our, our neighbors might you know, choose to, to live their life differently, they, to spend their time differently. They may not live like us, but shouldn't they like us? And what's interesting about Jesus is that people that were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. People that chose to live their life entirely different than Jesus also wanted to live their life with Jesus. And we're going to get into this a little bit next week as we dive into the story of one woman who was the social outcast of her community, of her neighborhood, that she would avoid large crowds because she didn't want to hear all of the whispers because she had a past, she had baggage, but that didn't change the way that Jesus chose to engage her personally. Now, for the next few weeks, as we consider what it looks like to engage those in our community, to engage our neighborhood, my hope is that at the end of this series, we would have considered this life-changing truth. We may not always choose the type of neighbors we will have. We may not always choose the type of neighbors we will have. This is to say when you purchase a home, if you ever had the opportunity to purchase a home or to move into an apartment, here's what you know. You go in and you look at all of the bells and whistles. You look at the things that maybe you like or don't like, and you consider location, sure. But the reality is, is that just as much as you're choosing the apartment or the home, you're also choosing that person that's going to live to the left of you. You're also choosing that person that's going to live to the right of you, in front of you, and behind you. And if you live in a location long enough, here's what you discover is that people move away over time. So we may not always choose the type of neighbors that we will have, but we will always choose the type of neighbor that we will be. Now, if you're not a Bible person or, or a scholar, I've got good news for you because there's a good chance that you can already quote the Bible. 
because you can quote Jesus. You might not be a follower of Jesus, but you know what he said about how we should treat our neighbors. You know that Jesus uh, didn't say, don't be a bother. You know that Jesus didn't say, just do your part. And you know that Jesus didn't say, you know, be kind. Fun fact, as I looked at this this week, be kind. The thing that popped into my head because I'm a product of the blockbuster generation, you know what I'm gonna say, be kind, rewind, right? Be kind, rewind. You can see the blue and gold graphic from them. <laughs> Nonetheless, back, back to what we're talking about. You know that Jesus didn't say, don't be a bother. You know that Jesus didn't say, just do your part. You know that Jesus didn't say, be kind. You know that what he said was much bigger than that. And the reason why you know it's much bigger than that is because we're still talking about it today. In fact, you already know what Jesus said. Now, it's record, recorded in Mark's gospel. He tells us how, how the story went down. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. A little bit of context for you. So there's this expert in the law, and it's religious law. And what's true about the law is that God had originally given it to, a, given it to his people so that they would experience freedom. You know, freedom in their relationship with him freedom in their relationship with other people, and really freedom in how they treated themselves as well. Now, over time, as religious experts began to manipulate, twist, and bend this law that God had given and even add things to it, this thing that was meant for freedom was leading to entrapment and slavery. And so in this context, as they talk about the law, you can imagine a courtroom scene between two opponents going back and forth. And here's how the conversation unfolds. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, they know, you know, Jesus had this reputation, you know, at, you know, young age, 12 years old, he's schooling scholars outside of the temple. And then, of course, as his ministry unfolded, people were proclaiming him as the Messiah, the one that people were waiting for. And so now they're trying to say, okay, you know what the law says. You've read it before. You're well studied. Of all of the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus' response essentially is, well, good question. It's interesting that you would ask that. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And at this point, people in the room are leaning in because they know where Jesus is going because he's quoting from something that was familiar to them. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with, now if this was, you know, Sunday school and a Sunday morning and, and all of the students were in the classroom, Jesus would have said, love the Lord your God with, and everybody would have yelled out, with all your heart. And he would have said, love the Lord your God with, with all your soul. They would have yelled out, he would have said, love the Lord your God with, and they would have said, with all of your mind. And he would have said, love the Lord your God with, and they would have yelled out, with all of your strength. Now, if this was a more charismatic church, it would have been saying, preach, amen. They would have been tracking with Jesus up to this point. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says this next. The second is this. Love your neighbors as yourself. And as they contemplated that, Jesus added an additional 
sentence, a powerful sentence. There is no commandment greater than these. So yes, love the Lord your God with all of your mind and all of your strength, with all of your soul, with all of your being. That's important. And it's just as important as you love your, uh, just as important as loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, don't hear me saying that for the next few weeks, uh, this is gonna be a series about how, to, how you become Mr. Rogers, great person of influence. Me and my wife got to, to watch that movie recently, you know, uh, impacted many lives. Maybe even some of you watching right now, you grew up watching Mr. Rogers. I'm not saying that that, that is the end destination with this series. And also I should say, you know, disclaimer, not that that is the goal to become Mr. Rogers, if you're a Seinfeld fan, you understand this statement. We shouldn't also set our sights on being Newman either. And I also want to recognize that each person behind the screen this morning, you know, we might not all believe the same thing. We might believe something different when it comes to the person of Jesus. But, but I want you to hang in for a minute because this next question that I want us to consider is a powerful question, regardless of who or what you worship. Have you ever not liked someone who is committed to loving you well? Think about it. Have you ever not liked someone who was committed, that had dedicated their lives to loving well? This is a question you might ask later today while you're sharing a meal with your family. This is a question you might ask as you're driving around this week. This is a question you might ask as you have a conversation over Zoom or connecting through social media because it is a powerful question that says something about how we've been influenced by other people's love of others. Now, at this church, we, we invite you to consider being in a group. We're a big fan of asking people to continue the conversation during the week. And if you were sitting in a group environment and this question were to come up, most people would say, of course I like those that are committed to loving. And if, if you were to be asked, well, can you give an example? I would be surprised if this person's name didn't come up because she's a cultural icon. And I'm referring to Mother Teresa. Now, what's interesting about Mother Teresa is that she's not necessarily well-liked because of what she believed, though what she believed significantly influenced the way that she treated others. She's known and liked for how well she loved others. For many of us, we can think of those that have committed their lives to loving well. And of course, we have great things to say about them. Now, before we moved to New York, uh, Kirsten and I, we, we lived in Utah for about five years. And so, you know, in the past, well, six and a half years now, we've lived in three different neighborhoods. Uh, the first neighborhood we lived in, uh, in Utah, I remember still the, the moving truck pulling up to take, uh, take the furniture off and bring inside the house. And some of the neighbors showed up and offered to help us move. Now, I got to be honest with you. I don't like moving. In fact, you know, it would definitely be an act of the Holy Spirit if you asked me to move and I responded and said, sure, I'd love to help you move. That would be me saying, I care about you and I'm committed to loving you well because moving, not something that I wanna spend my time doing. But these people were, 
were willing to help us move. And more than that, our neighbors, they invited us over for dinner. We didn't believe the same thing when it came to the person of Jesus, but it was interesting because they were committed to loving us well. Now, the second neighborhood that we lived in was a newer community. In fact, most of the people in the neighborhood were new to that neighborhood. And one day, the sister of the owner next door was allowing her dog to use our lawn to go to the bathroom. And so being the great pastor that I am, you know, being the super compassionate and loving and gentle pastor that I am, I, of course, opened up the door and pretended that I was just taking a casual perusing of the neighborhood and panned my way to the activity that was taking place and I gave a stare down because that's the loving thing to do. And I acknowledged and she said, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'll, I'll take care of this. And I said, well, thank you. And I closed the door and no sooner than I closed the door, I was thinking, oh, that, that probably wasn't the most loving thing to do. And I told my wife and she said, you're a pastor. You're supposed to be setting an example. But the story doesn't end there because if it wasn't that night, it was the next night. I got a knock on the door and I could see that it was our neighbors. And I'm thinking for sure, this is a, a moment of confrontation saying, hey, do we have a problem here? And I opened up the door and it was um, my neighbor and his boyfriend and they had a gift and they were warm and loving and kind. And that wasn't the last time that they would do something like that. And they would have, you know, parties and get togethers next door and they would invite us. I mean, they were committed to loving well in our neighborhood. Now, when we moved into our neighborhood here in central New York, we were gifted a great group of families, families that have welcomed our kiddos right into the mix with their own kiddos. And they play together most days and, and they've gone to each other's birthday parties and they've swam in their pools. And we have a great neighborhood. And it's clear to Kirsten and I that our neighbors are committed to loving those around them well, we may not always believe the same thing about Jesus, but we do have this common commitment of loving well. Now, what, what's interesting about this idea is most people would say to impact people well, loving them is certainly important. But if we were to have a conversation, someone might also suggest that how we love other people is subjective and that me as a pastor, I might have a different understanding of what that looks like than the other person that maybe didn't go to school to study the Bible or maybe doesn't have any faith at all. And you might say that loving, the, uh, loving uh, people well is, well, subjective and that what you say and I say might not be the same. And I would say, okay, that's a fair point. I'm leaning in. But for the sake of this discussion, let's just take your own personal opinion of how to love well and you can put it on this table and uh, I'll take my opinion and I'll put it on this table. And let's make a commitment for the next three weeks to engage an expert. Because in our culture today, it's not uncommon that when we want to learn about a certain topic or we want to grow in our profession, what we'll do is we'll engage an expert. We go to clinics, we go to conferences, we hire coaches, we read books, we listen to podcasts so that we can grow and learn and discover. And so why not, when it comes to this idea of engaging our neighbors and loving them well, why not go to an expert, the very person that people have been quoting for thousands of years? And so for the next few weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to see how Jesus was committed to loving 
three different groups of people well. Next week, we're going to talk about this group, the Samaritans. I'm going to unpack this group a little bit this morning, but we'll finish that up next week. And then the week after, we're going to see how Jesus engaged a group of highly religious people. And then in week four, we're going to see how he engaged the social outcasts, the sinners, the, oh, don't associate with, with those people. But let me say this. If you would consider yourself a Jesus person, if you would consider yourself a Christ follower, if you would say, hey, you know, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and I've been baptized and to the best of my ability, I'm committed to following him. If I'm describing you, let me tell you why you should lean in and continue to follow along for the next few weeks. It ties into something that Luke recorded in a letter in the, in the New Testament, a book of the New Testament that we call Acts. And it's something that Jesus said to his followers that still holds true to us today. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's a promise. And you will be my witnesses. You will be my ambassadors. You will be my representatives that wherever you go, you're going to carry the things that matter most to me with you. And I want you to go into Jerusalem. And, and those listening would have said, okay, you know, cousin Eddie, he's in Jerusalem. And uh, I think I can stay at his place when we're in town. Jerusalem, no problem. Uh, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and, and in all Ju Judea. Oh, okay. Okay. I might have a friend of a friend that lives in that neck of the woods. Should be okay. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria. <clears throat> um, at this point, you know, the, those in the room would say, <clears throat> hey, Jesus, quick follow-up question. Did I just hear you say Samaria? <clears throat> That's correct. Because this was a place that people chose to avoid. This was a place that if you were coming through town, you would take a detour. You would take a different direction. Because for eight centuries, it was the source of political and racial tension. It's similar to how people might feel about if they were approaching Portland, Oregon this summer. I think we'll take a detour around. But what happened is, is in the year 721 BC, the Assyrians came down. And they conquered uh, the northern part of Israel. And they brought with them their people and their power and their influence. And then they deported the Jews back to Assyria. And as a result, there was this culture class, worldviews colliding. We read about this in the Old Testament. Here's how it went down. The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Cuthah, Ava, Hama, and Sepharphim. And settled them into towns of Samaria to replace the Israelites. Could you imagine if someone showed up in your neighborhood and said, okay, Johnson family, you're out. Okay, Ryerson family, you're in. You, what? They took over Samaria and lived in its towns. And so from this point forward, if you were raised Jewish, you were raised with a prejudice. You were raised to hate the Samaritans. You were raised to not ask questions and just know that what matters is that when it came to the Samaritans, they were an enemy. And so next week, I'm going to invite us to consider a shift that when we engage with people that don't live like us, that have different beliefs or different understandings about different hot topics, that we would approach it in a different way. 
we're going to see Jesus make an interesting shift. The shift from only focusing on what matters, but to also focus on why it matters. This is an invitation that I want you to consider this week. Shift from only focusing on what matters to also focusing on why it matters. I found that it's hard to love people well when you're so focused only on what matters and you don't take the time to dig beneath the surface on why that matters to that person. Now, an easy illustration be when it comes to cooking. You know, you can look at a recipe and a set of ingredients and say, this is what matters. This is what I need to put in the pot and this is how long I need to cook. But great chefs, great cooks know why those ingredients go well together. Another example would be if you're a sports junkie, you understand that it's not necessarily also what play the coach calls, but it's about reading the situation and seeing what the opponent is doing and why that is the right play to call in that moment. And from a relationship standpoint, when it comes to engaging a significant other or those that we love and care about, uh, Gary Chapman talks about this in his book, Five, the Five Love Languages, that the way that we receive and give love looks differently. So my wife, she loves snuggle time. I'm not a snuggler. She loves snuggle time. That's what, that's what matters to her. But why it matters to her is that her love language is our physical touch and quality time. So how do I know how to love my life well? love my wife well, is to not only engage what matters, but why it matters to her. And so the next time that you find yourself engaged in a conversation with someone in your neighborhood, someone in your community, someone at the grocery store, someone at the school, someone at the sports field, instead of just focusing on what matters when it comes to the issue of politics, when it comes to the issue of religion, when it comes to the issue of family values, when it comes to the issue of social justices, when it comes to the issue of COVID-19 and how we respond, instead of only focusing on what matters, what if you took another step and began to focus on why it matters to them. You see, when it comes to loving our neighbors, it's not enough to know what our neighbors believe. We need to know why they believe what they believe. And so a simple homework assignment this week would be for you to take a next step and to Engage with someone that's disconnected. They could be disconnected from Jesus. They could be disconnected from church. They could be disconnected in your neighborhood or community. You don't even have to be a Christ follower to take this next step. But as you engage in a conversation, instead of just focusing on the what matters, and I understand if you're an introvert, you're like, not doing this assignment but just see what it might do in your life to not just focus in on what matters, but to shift and say, why does this matter to this person? I think this is what Jesus had in mind when he gave this proclamation and to why he had come to do ministry. And he's quoting from the prophet Isaiah when he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to those that are hungry for good news. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for those that are feel trapped for, for, for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, those that are longing for new perspective. And then Jesus, again, quoting Isaiah says, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here's, what, here's what's true. All in our communities, all in our neighborhoods, there are people that are believing lies. 
lies about themselves, lies about other people, even lies about Jesus. And I might even be describing you right now on the other side of the screen. Things that you've chosen to believe that has you trapped in shame and guilt, things that you've chosen to pursue in the, in the hope of happiness that continues to fall short each and every time. All around us, people are hungry for truth. And as we engage in these conversations, as we answer Jesus's call to be his witness, as we engage in these conversations with people that may not live like us, what if when we walked away from those conversations, those people still liked us? What if they actually wanted to have a second conversation? What if they wanted to have a third conversation? I'm not saying this approach will change the world but it just might change your neighborhood. Would you bow your head and join me in prayer? And then we're gonna sing one more song together. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful that you've given us the, the, the playbook and Jesus and how he chose to engage with the people that, that maybe we would have turned and run in the opposite direction. And oh, I don't, I don't wanna engage. I don't know what might happen. I don't wanna hit that hot topic. But Jesus engaged those people. And, 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 and thank you that you've given us the grace and, and mercy that, that even though when we might get it wrong, we can get back up and try and, and, and continue learning, like riding a bike. We fall back, we fall off, and we, we get back on. And thank you that we have the Holy Spirit, that when the right words aren't coming to the surface, we can pray and trust that, God, you will provide those words through your truth and your word and your scriptures. So, Father, this week, would you fill us with that strength and that courage to take this next step and to begin to consider what would it look like to engage those that are disconnected, that do not live like us. And please, Father, protect us. Help us to walk away from those conversations. And so those neighbors, those friends, those people in our community actually still like us after we walk away. There's so much at stake. You've asked us to help grow your kingdom. God, give us that courage to answer that call. Let's be a church that's committed to choosing the type of neighbor that we will be. We pray all of these things in the power of your son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. If so, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast. For more information about Eastern Hills, please check out easternhills.org. We would love to pray for you. Email your request to office at easternhills.org. If you would like to donate to the Ministry of Eastern Hills, click the Donate button in the upper right-hand corner of our website. We look forward to connecting with you again next week. Take care. God bless.